Welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And if this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here. We are a married couple, usually happy, sometimes frustrated, mostly with our children. Ages 12. For sure, sometimes with each other, let's be honest. No, not 12. They're not 12 yet. 11, 9, uh, 7, and 4. Except for faith, we are in the we are entering birthday season next month, where it's like solid birthdays for we'll the get next all, six months. We'll or get so. all mixed up. We'll be eleven, yeah. ten, seven, and four, and then twelve, ten, seven, four. Then we'll be finally back to the even two years, twelve to eight, and then faith will finally catch up and turn five. It's true, and then Molly and I are thrown in there too, but we're. Molly's not turning anything anymore, and um, I'll be 44. And yeah. I, I'm only halfway through 43, may, though, may, so. I'm going to post this this picture on our Telegram that my friend Addie sent me because it was really funny to me, and she said that a number of her family members that she showed it to didn't think it was funny. They were like, what's wrong with you? But it's a picture of... Of a girl talking about her, her tastes in men have changed. And it says, My type has changed over the years. At age 15, she's saying, Wow, to Legolas in Lord of the Rings, Rings, Orlando Bloom. And then at age 21, she's, she's saying the same thing to Aragorn Strider. And then the funny thing is that the oldest age she achieves is 28, which I would say at 28, you're still looking for Aragorn if you're yeah, a woman. Yeah, you're still looking for Aragorn. I would say at 42, she says, I want this one. And it's Samwise Ganji going, potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just thought that was really funny. And I said it to our next door neighbor, Julie, because she just like three nights earlier had been saying, you know, I look at 20 something year olds now and I'm like, how did I ever think these men were attractive? They're gangly. They're spindly. Like they, they don't look like weathered at all. And, um, and, and they clearly are not eating enough potatoes. (laughs) Give me a hobbit who can like him some good potatoes. Yes, Molly's frequently reminding me that as I get older, my tastes change, and that's a good thing. Well, <clears throat> now all the 40, 40 year old women look super hot. All the 40 year old women, or this 42 year old woman? Um, well, you specifically, but I'm just saying in general, um, 40 year old women are, are more attractive now than 20 year old women are. Which is a good thing. Which is I how guess. it's supposed to be. Not yes. creepy at all. Nobody wants that. Um, right. So, I think it's been so long since we've talked about where the name Too Busy to Flush came from. Somebody asked me about it last week? Week before. I don't remember. Anyway, Molly, the story. It, it's not actually that elaborate of a story. It comes from potty training Titus, who was our 11-year-old. And he jumped off of the toilet and ran away. And I said, get back here and flush. And he yelled back with whatever extremely... He actually potty trained. I'm really young, so he was probably three. He was almost potty trained by the time Lily was born, which was shy of two. And that, you guys, is not because I'm an amazing, awesome tiger mom. It's because he spent so much time naked 
that he was very aware of his bodily functions. And I thought the same thing would be true when I potty trained my next child. So I just let her be naked all the time. But when you're a girl and you just start peeing while you're playing out in the yard, it doesn't do this cool stream that shoots away from your body. And you're like, huh, huh. It pours down your leg and it's disgusting. And it was really traumatic to her. So she took forever to potty train because she didn't like being naked and thinking about going to the bathroom. But uh, that is beside the point. The name Too Busy to Flush came from me saying, if I ever write, I made a note of this and it was in my byline or whatever on Facebook for years. It probably still is. I just hasn't edited my bio on Facebook for forever. Why would you forever. Uh, My profile picture is a cat. <laughs> And I said, if I ever write a book on parenting, it will be called Too Busy to Flush. And I had that down there for years and years. And then when we were trying to come up with a podcast name, when we started this almost three years ago, which is wild, we I threw that out there and it stuck because we do a lot of potty humor in our home and in our on our podcast and just other generally irreverent stuff. And even though all of our kids are now potty trained, uh, the name has stuck. And we do still have a four-year-old who thinks that the most hilarious thing in the world is to shout out poop is the answer to any question that people are asking. (laughs) And she cracks herself up. Four-year-olds. Wild. So that's where Too Busy Flush came from. Uh, we've had some suggestions to add a praying mantis to our logo. Or did you joke about that on a show a couple of weeks I, ago? Mm, I don't remember. I, it might have been one or the other. We haven't. No, I made, I made, somebody suggested it. They said if you ever redo the the graphic or have a redesign, we should add a praying mantis. And I, that's actually been on kind of, I've been mulling about it, but I keep forgetting to add one. We have a new praying mantis fact though. Thanks to Addie's daughter, Windsor, who decided to enlighten us at the lunch table the other day. Praying Mm -hmm. mantises, what? Only have. Oh, one ear. And I'm going to pause for a moment. So no Googling. You can all think where that is ear? that one ear on a praying mantis? We actually went around the lunch table and made everybody guess where the praying mantis's one ear was. And the correct answer is... It's chest. It's chest. Right center of its chest. And we I have not Googled what what the ear looks like, but we actually found a dead male praying mantis on the patio after that same lunch and we looked at it it had been dead for a while but we looked at it and could not find anything that looked like an ear to us but praying mantises are actually aliens you guys so whatever we think an they're ear, cannibalistics cannibalistic sex craved aliens and so whatever we think an ear might look like is apparently not what an ear looks like for something that came from another planet. I don't know. I'm sitting here with my lap, my, my tablet. I'm going to look it up right now. Uh, in um, the meanwhile, I have another update for everybody. Okay. About hunter safety. Titus, who took his first ever real don't test. Don't tell him the score. Start from the beginning of the story when he started taking the test, because that's the interesting part. Yeah. So Whoa. I was pretty nervous. It looks, the ear is like down... 
by where it looks like it'd be down by where its crotch is. That's not its chest. I mean, depending on what it, you call a chest. That, yeah, it's lower than I would have thought it was. It mm-hmm. looks like it's in between. You know, an insect has head, thorax, and abdomen. It looks like it's almost where the thorax and the abdomen meet. Yeah, it's below. It's probably at the bottom of its of its thorax. thorax. So... Strange creature. So we, we arrive and remember... I don't remember if I said this last week when I was ranting about hunter safety, but I probably did. If you're not on, if you're not early, you're late was repeated over and over to us. So we arrived for a 630 class at 615 on Friday night, the night of the test. And they were already full blown teaching in review mode. And I think they, I did not see a copy of the test at all. I think they essentially went through each question on the test and reviewed what the answers should be. And then they make they made the three parents that were coming to the class sit in the very back so we couldn't see our kids or see what they were doing. And they made all the kids spread out and they made sure they all had pencils, which fortunately Titus did. And then they handed out the test and they said, do not write on this test. And then they handed out bubble sheets to fill it out and my heart just sank because Titus has never filled out anything like this before in his life and I had all of these visions in my head of him losing track of which number he's answering and being one off for all of them or not knowing how to fill out the bubble sheet properly and he seemed to be doing something a bit amiss because the one of the guys who was kind of apparently his job is to proctor the exam. He he paced around and leaned over people's shoulders the whole time and he corrected something somehow in how Titus was filling out the bubble sheet. And so I'm sitting there and I had brought my Sean Stevenson book, Eat Smarter, and I was enjoying getting into it. And after about 30 minutes of sitting there while everyone's scribbling away on their tests, Titus raises his hand and he says, what do I do with my tests when I'm done? And I kind of freaked out because he was the first one finished. And I thought, okay, that was really fast. It was a 75-question test, they said, which means he had averaged about two minutes per question. And he's never taken a real test before. Fortunately, he didn't do any. There was another kid, two kids in front of him, who forgot they they drill into your head it's on in this big red box on the back of the worksheet there the four always is which are always point the muzzle of the gun in a safe direction always treat every gun as if it's loaded always be aware of your target and beyond and always keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to shoot so those four always is they literally repeated three or four times every night of the class And drilled them into their head and they said, you will have to write these on your test and you will have to begin all of them with always or we will mark that question wrong. And the kid two in front of Titus could not remember one of the four always is and was sitting there drumming his hands on the desk and the teachers who really wanted to help 
despite their gruff demeanor, they really wanted everyone to pass and to do well on the test. And so they're leaning over his shoulder, trying to calm him down and helping him with this. And it's he's he was did fine on the test, but he was bugging him because he knew he should know this one. Titus didn't have any of that. He just cool as a cucumber, sits there for a few minutes after he hands his test in. Then he asks if he can go to the bathroom and then he comes back and he sits. And there was one dad who had asked if he could take the test for fun. And about five to seven minutes after Titus handed in his test, this dad handed in his test. And then we just sat there and we sat there. And I was. Molly's in the back row. <clears throat> she told me that she was in the back row, just like biting her fingernails. Well, I, I, the longer it went from my 11 year old son, and there were. Who's never One, taken? Who's never taken a real test before? They had to show him how to take it, the how to fill out. Yeah, the you're, you're you've been reading. I said that. Sorry. He. There were one, two, Taking three, four. There were five high school students in the class, and then the others were younger boys like Titus who were taking it their first opportunity. But but the you know there's five high school students in the class, and 15 minutes goes by. 20 minutes goes by and Titus is the only student finished with the test still. And then somebody hands it in and then they all trickled in over the next 15 minutes or so. And then they corrected him and then they and then they announced that everybody had passed and the lowest score was like an 86 and the highest score was a 98. And Titus is just still complete poker face looking at his test and at the finally at the very end of the class I get back the I I was like how how'd you do and he said I got I got a 96 I missed three and one of them was a really stupid one and I was I had coached him on all these test taking skills like don't freak out if you can't answer one you know skip it if you don't know and move ahead and I had not said go back and double check your work because if he had double checked his work, there's at least mm-hmm. one that he would have gotten right. But he was pretty pleased with himself, and I was pretty pleased and excited for him. Not only because he passed the test and can now hunt, and he passed the test after a grueling week. Also because he apparently does okay on tests, at least thus far. I don't know how he do on a math test. <laughs> I, as long but. as he doesn't take my test-taking uh my mom says I was a really good test taker. I hated them. I absolutely despised every single test I took. Uh, but I don't know. Molly was Molly's the one. She's I she's the I used to one. actually really enjoy taking tests because one of my I loved to strategize and try to especially in college and seminary try to figure out what the professors were going to what their themes were and you could piece together what they were going to ask specific questions. Of course, there's that. And this is really important. So, but also, there were teachers, especially in seminary, who would weave a theme throughout their their lecture series. And if you could pick up on the theme was, you knew that that was going to be an essay question. And I could structure how I studied, basically five key points for to answer the question and if it was slightly off from that i could adjust my five key points so test taking for you was more about how great you were in understanding what the prof was and it was actually about learning what he was saying 
a little bit of both. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it was a strategy game for me. Wow. It was listening to them and trying to figure out what was most important to them and how they were going to weave a semester's worth of material into three essay questions. And, and I just assumed I didn't really think of it about any of that. I just most classes I actually wanted to learn what they had to say. Some classes I didn't want to learn anything. It was just a matter of so it, for me. Test. It wasn't a matter of wanting to learn what they wanted to say. But if they're throwing out, for example, if 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 I'm in history class and they're throwing out all of these dates and they're throwing out all of the th- these things. To them, there is a, a theme woven throughout history. Why have they chosen these particular things that are important? It's not a matter of not wanting to learn what they want to say. It's a matter of making history have meaning. There's a cohesive meaning to why they're teaching these things. It's not that history is random and meaningless. It's what is the meaning behind this string of events and how they're teaching about this string of events. And I actually disliked history when I was growing up, learning history, because it felt like a series of incoherent, meaningless points that aren't connected at all. But the fact of the matter is, all of history is dialectical. All of history, philosophical movements, uh, revolutions, it's everybody is always reacting to something that came before us reacting to overreacting to changing compensating for growing out of so history our moment in history for example i mean carl truman's book the strange new world or the rise and triumph of the modern self if you're ambitious is a great example of this we didn't just arrive at this moment in history where a man can say i am a female trapped in a man's body i'm a woman trapped in a man's body and have that mean something to all of our culture. We didn't just arrive at this out of nothing. This moment in history where this means something to other people and it means something coherent, not it means that you're a nut job who needs some mental health work. This is the result of more than a century of seeds that have been sown into the philosophical and thus the cultural air that we all breathe. And so even though I disagree with somebody who says, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, I still know what they're saying because of all of these different seeds that have been sown in history. And this person tried to build on this philosopher's work and tried to bring it into general culture and tried to tweak it in a way that made sense to them. So that's what I'm saying. If I were taking a history test, It would mean nothing to me to describe the philosophy of Heidegger, to give the dates that he was alive. Mm. Probably I'm not even saying his name right. The dates that he was alive and what was a key point of his philosophy and where he lived. That doesn't mean anything to me. But if I could say what at what point, what was he reacting to in the philosophical air that he was breathing that came before him and who built on that and what did they do with it afterwards? That's what history professors good history professors in a class on a test are looking for. And that's what gives history studying history. It's meaning. So that's what I'm saying. That's what I liked doing in tests. Same thing with, you know, studying scripture, you can memorize a Bible verse, but it doesn't actually mean anything to you unless you're able to say, okay, this is the context in which this verse is existing. 
And this is why it means something to me now. That's that's the point of studying the whole counsel of God is so it actually has meaning, not so that you have some random isolated verse that you can put in a plaque on a wall like a Chinese language tattoo. Have you ever seen those memes where people will get Chinese tattoos and then you'll have a Chinese person translate it and it doesn't mean anything or vice versa. You go to China and there's all these English word t-shirts that are just nonsense. That's what, that's what scripture, you know, apart from understanding context essentially does to us and apart from the Holy Spirit. So you, I sent you to a, to a plant nursery the other day for some pots so I can (laughs) buy, or so I can plant some potatoes in our greenhouse. Why was the, our friend Bobby hesitant to give you some (laughs) two gallon discarded tree pots? Uh, so I'm, I asked her for some of those, uh, cause Molly, we've got a greenhouse coming on Thursday. Molly's parents bought us her uh anniversary present which is just a big greenhouse so we can extend our growing season we're doing a lot more of that my mom is here she's adding to the madness my girls love it it's just a giant thing next year is gonna be awesome freezing family farms going on over here yeah i think next year we're talking about i'm gonna build some chicken tractors this winter so we got some chickens and then i think we're gonna do a beehive and plant a few rows of corn we're going to try to convert some mm-hmm. of our grass where and it's already have, getting irrigated from a sprinkler system. Yeah. And then I want to do, corn. I want to do a bunch of, uh, kind of want to do some fruit trees and just see if, I, I don't know if that's going to work, but, or at least berries, you know, maybe just a whole bunch of like, a, I have several varieties of berries that I'd yeah. like to try. So, but I mean, or maybe to, both kind of a little we bit. Have, so there's one called sea berries that are drought tolerant mm-hmm. and very cold tolerant. They're very tart. So you have to. Like add a choke cherry, you have to add a ton of sugar. They're to them. they're orange and they almost have a citrus flavor, uh, but they're very cold tolerant and apparently they're crazy high in vitamin C and antioxidants. And then honeyberries is the other one that I want, which grow kind of like a an oblong grape, but they look and taste like a blueberry. And those are both ones that do fine in mm. our climate. But I think I'll have to special order both. Yeah, she planted some blackberries, and I think. I too. think they got too much water and too much sun. Yeah, I think it you was put them right in the middle of our my tree irrigation. I, line, I don't think it idea. was the water so much because they're Oregon and Washington. They get rain a lot. I mm. think it was the weeks of hundred degree weather on end that just fried I kind of killed everything. Um, okay, so anyway, I walk into the nursery because we need some more of these buckets. And Bobby, who manages the nursery there, she looks at me and goes, "Friend of ours." She goes, "Are you are you growing?" And I was like. Well, yeah, we're, we got a garden and moving stuff into, and then I kind of went through the whole spiel of like, we got this greenhouse. She's like, no, no, no. Are you growing, growing, like, you know, growing kind of give me the wink, you know, the nod, the wink. And I'm like, oh, you mean growing, growing. No, I'm not doing that kind of growing. I thought about doing that kind of growing. It seems to be a ton of money in it. And she turns around and looks at, you know, the, looks at all of the nursery stuff she has. And she's like, yeah, I feel like my son should just turn this into a, into a, just a growing facility. And for those of you guys who don't know what we're talking about, recreational marijuana is legal in Montana now. And Um, everywhere you look, a shop, we have, we have as many dispensaries and things as we do casinos. Now it's just, they're everywhere. It's getting bad. Um, so anyway, um, 
I was like, no, why? I was like, I'm, we're not, we're not. She's like, okay, good. Because if you were growing, then, um, I, I would say no. Cause this, the number one reason people come in and, and ask for these buckets from me is because they're growing. <laughs> and I was like, nope, I'm using them to transplant stuff from the garden that didn't germinate and stuff we want to extend. Stuff and... that our growing season started really late. Cause our June was really wet and chilly. And but we're so... going super hot into September. I have a theory that. I have a hypothesis, not a theory, because a theory is like a proven. The hypothesis is the idea. The an theory educated is the, guess. Yeah, an edu- that our seasons are shifting. Climate change. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that they're shifting. It that is that is possible. Because winter is going longer now, and summer is going longer, so everything's just kind of moving. We still have the same amount of seasonal weather, but it's just shifting. So. One more, one more thing to tell you, changing subjects again. On Sunday night, I made hamburgers for dinner, and I, I've been trying to shift to having ninety percent of the baked goods that we consume be made at home because it's almost impossible. After reading *The End of Craving*, realizing how much. How many baked goods are fortified with things like niacin, thiamine, and things like that that he, the end of craving guy, posits are throwing off our metabolisms, trying to avoid as as many uh, fortifications to our food as possible. And so I thought, I'm going to do homemade hamburger buns. And I found a recipe. Oh, so good. They were so... You guys, I have tried... This was the best... The most success I've ever had with a homemade hamburger bun. My challenge with hamburger buns is always that when I make them at home, they're so stinking dense. It's not even fun to eat the hamburger because you're just chewing and chewing and chewing bread. I which, love dense bread. If you're making dense bread for toast or for French toast or even, I don't, I, I like a fluffier bread for sandwich bread and something softer, but. Anyway, I've I always don't like with it. That. I don't like hamburger. I don't like hamburger buns that break apart on me like they're dry. I don't. I despise that. These didn't break apart. I know. I'm just you? saying. So I these, don't like the, the that other, kind of hamburger bun. I don't either. And that's how my homemade hamburger buns always seem to end up. These were super light. They were fluffy. I forgot to add the salt to them, so they didn't have the best flavor. But I imagine next time when I make them with the salt, they'll have great flavor. And Titus ate the last one today with some leftover slider-sized burgers that I made, and it still held together really well. And the great thing about this recipe is a 40-minute recipe. So from start to finish, the entire thing took 40 minutes. It took me a little bit longer because I I was using the oven to bake a loaf of bread that was taking a long time to, to brown up. So they rose more than they should have. And then I popped them in, and they got nice and brown on top. You use an egg yolk wash, so they're shiny, and the sesame seeds stick to them. The I'll, I'll have JR post this recipe. You use two tablespoons of yeast in a recipe that calls for two cups of flour or so, which, if you're a baker, you realize is a ton of yeast. But that's, it, that's how you get the 40-minute thing. There's just so much yeast, it doesn't have to multiply through the various rises. It just, poof. You proof the yeast, and then it just poofs up. And 
that might be part of what keeps the the bread so soft. But anyway, uh, I the only tweak that I would make to the recipe is they were absolutely giant buns. I made them wide because I don't like to have them Monster super tall. Buns. And I I think I made it was a recipe that said makes eight, and I think I made eight, but I probably could have made twelve out of that recipe and baked them in a nine by thirteen sheet pan to contain them and make them go up instead of just out. They were giant. That's the only tweak I would make, besides remembering to add the salt. But if you're looking for a quick recipe for hamburger hot dog, hot dog buns, homemade, they're not sourdough, but I will include it in the show notes. They were delightful, and I would recommend them. Nice. Yep. So I've been kind of going through like a season again. My buddy at Bible study like pointed out that these over the over the many years he's known me and we've been doing Bible study together. He's like, you know, you. You have, like, you go through seasons of your life where there's just nothing, you get kind of depressed, and then, boom, it all hits at once, and you're just so busy you don't have time to be depressed. Anyway, so I don't know if, like, my mellowness today is due to the fact that I'm really tired, and I have been feel like I've been tired now for, you know, a month. I just can't get caught up on sleep, just always sleepy, yada, yada, yada. If it's just leftover depression or if it's because I decided not to drink coffee and I'm drinking the stuff that Molly had in the, in the, in the cabinet and I'm always looking for stuff to add to my protein shakes. It's from Organif- Organifi mm-hmm. and it's like a chocolate and I was like, well, that looks interesting. I'll try that. It's chocolate and it's got turmeric in it. So it has kind of this exotic mm-hmm. sort of flavor to it, but it's their calm rest and relaxation. <laughs> so we were talking about pot and I was like, you're like a mom pot right now. I'm just super chill. <laughs> I've never actually done pot. That's what they say. I think I'm going to try to throw growing pot into the uh, sh- into the title of the show. To just catch I people can. with tags. But think about this. We did talk about growing pot. We talked about or growing pots. A growing pot. So depending on how you do the play on words. I'm still telling the truth. Growing pots. (laughs) Growing things in pots. A growing pot. Yeah. We need a growing pot, Bobby. We, yep. The main reason I want them for the spring is because they're, I think they're going to be great for growing potatoes in. Mm. They're just the right size to put one potato in some soil let it grow and do its thing and then instead of having to dig it up and sort it out i'm just going to dump the entire thing out in a wheelbarrow or something and then i can put the dirt back into our compost pile or mix it up with other <clears throat> other garden soil and do that so the only other thing that i have to talk about today is i I've started back in on my to the word Bible reading plan that this mm-hmm. will be now be my third year of doing it. And I have been abysmal at staying caught up on it. And the first week, the first week that it started was also the first week of school. And as I think we've told you guys, we just had this, 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 and this throwing us off the first week of school. And then the next week I was already out of the habit. And I, anyway, I've decided to take their advice and not try to stay caught up 
But just when I have the chance to read for the day, whatever I manage to get read for that day, I'm going to read the daily reading and then I'm just going to not, and I'm just going to do the next day's reading with whatever's put in front of me the next day and be guilt-free, but also trust that I'm getting at least some good nourishment from doing the Bible reading plan. So I, I read probably less than half of Genesis and now I'm in Exodus and I started reading Exodus and we got, I got to, God calls Moses and says, I'm going to send you. And Moses gives God this reason and that reason. And he says, send somebody else. And the Bible passage says God's anger burned against Moses. And for some reason that really struck me that Moses, even at the very beginning of his relationship with God Almighty, he, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. There's this burning bush, which now that I think about it, is probably not this cute little bush, you know, a garden bush. I'm imagining this is a terrifying fire that Moses had gone to investigate and then gets floored with our God as a consuming fire, right? Uh, so he's got this already begins with this experience of God's awesome power and holiness. And then he's immediately like, uh, 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 <laughs> send someone else. I don't want to do this. Like what a person, what is just a normal everyday average person who gets a glimpse, a, a barely a glimpse of God's glory and then turns around in disbelief and forgetfulness and decides to talk back to God and disobey him. And yet, God's anger burned against Moses. And yet, in the next breath, God says, fine, I'll send your brother Aaron with you. So, in the midst of burning anger to someone who is disobeying him in sin and disbelief, he shows him mercy and grants him what he is asking for. And I started thinking about other places in scripture where you see that. Of course, the one that came to mind right away after that is Jonah, who blatantly disobeys God. He gets a command from God. He knows what God is capable of. And he's like, uh-uh, run the other way. God's anger burns against Jonah, although it's not described in that way. But he says this massive storm that everybody on the ship knows is going to kill them all. Jonah goes, hey, guys, it's me. Should throw me overboard. And what does God do in his anger? Mercy. He sends a fish, which is an, a, salving, a saving act of mercy to Jonah. And it, it, yeah, Moses ends up walking with God face to face and having a good relationship with him. Jonah, not so much. Throws a fit, as we know. But I don't know quite what the word for it is, but the Old Testament in particular is rife with examples of people who argue with God or barter with him and not from a posture of faith, but from a God's anger either does or should burn against them. Sarah, when Abraham, God appears to Abraham and says, so I said, I was thinking on this and I jotted down these, these names anyway, Sarah, there's Sarai at that point, God promises them a son and Sarai is sitting in the background and she laughs and it's not an excited laugh. It's a bitter, sarcastic, disbelieving laugh. And 
Hannah, we talked about Hannah in Sunday school. Um, she makes a bargain with God. You know, if you'll give me a son, hers is more from a posture of faith, which is a little bit wild to me in general. Her understanding of God by God's grace far supersedes what it seems like the culture around her was teaching her about God. Because the book of Judges ends that everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And somehow Hannah understands who God is in this totally corrupt, turbulent environment, understands who God is and serves him and sings this wonderful song based on his promises when God grants her heart's desire. But she's still, she's bartering with God. Uh, Moses, not only the instance where he's no sense someone else and God's anger burns against him, but then when he comes down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments and... God's like, I'm going to destroy all of them. These sinful people, I regret bringing them out of Egypt. I'm going to destroy all of them. And Moses ends up making the deal with God saying, no, please don't destroy them. But Moses does that one on the basis of God's character. I'm actually just thinking aloud right now. Abraham with destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. That is a faith-based bartering with God, not one that made God's anger burn against him. Uh, Gideon, he doesn't believe God that God's going to use him to deliver his people. And he does the fleeces. And I don't remember. I didn't look this up. I don't, we don't hear anything about God's posture towards Gideon. We, we kind of, we know that you shouldn't fleece. You shouldn't do the fleecing for God, but God grants Gideon exactly the tests that he's asking of God to prove that God is going to do what he told him he'd do. And so there's an act of mercy that you should get this for testing God. I mean, Jesus himself says you should not put the Lord your God to the test. And I guess that's what all of these are, is they're putting God to the test in some degree or another. And some of them are putting God to the test in faith, and some of them are clearly from a posture that's not of faith but um and that that posture is interesting to me because last week i referred to that allender dan allender piece which you can post this week because we missed the link last week on lament and Psalms. you got it on uh telegram uh, no i think i updated the show it? notes okay yeah. so if you did if you missed it last week Dan, I we I'll include it in this talked about a, a Dan Allender article talking about lament, and he one of the things he does is he looks how David moves through many psalms, and there's there's a period or there's a a part of psalms where David is lamenting his difficult, painful circumstances that often is expressed as anger towards God. God, why do you let this happen? I know that you are powerful enough to smite my enemies. I am angry at you for permitting this suffering that I don't believe I deserve. And sometimes that's true and sometimes it's not into my life. And Allender believes that that, that angry, that anger part of lament is actually a healthy part of processing whatever we're lamenting. The so kind of where my brain went with this is that well then I was like what new text new testament examples are there of people 
putting God to the test. Obviously not Jesus. <laughs> but kind of the only example I could think of was Ananias and Sapphira, who are trying to trick the New Testament church, the brand new church, and thus God. And what happens to them? Moses doesn't get smote dead for challenging God. Jonah doesn't get smote dead. Hannah doesn't. Abraham doesn't. All these people who challenge God. Ananias and Sapphira? Boom. Not a moment. Not a second chance for them. <laughs> I mean, we don't know how many second chances they've gotten before. But the story in Acts is, you lied to me. Boom, you're dead. And then she comes along and... You know, is this true? And she says, yes, it's true. And then I can't remember which apostle says, your husband's body isn't cold yet. He died for telling the same lie. And then she dies too. Talk about turning upside down people who think that God of the Old Testament is the God of wrath and justice and the God of the New Testament is the God of love and mercy. <laughs> like All these people in the Old Testament who talk back to God and test him, get mercy. And here's this couple in the New Testament that don't even get a warning and they get stricken dead for telling a lie and trying to deceive God and his people. And I just, anyway, that's a funny aside thinking that was the only example I could come up with in the new Testament off the top of my head of people who tested God, obviously. Well, the Pharisees always tried to test him. Well, but not a specific story <laughs> of people who no. are, you know, if you say, you know, the only example of that is is Satan. If this is true, do this. If this is true, do this. Uh, I mean, I guess when Jesus is on the cross, if you're the son of God, mm -hmm. you know, come down from there. And clearly Jesus doesn't. But But that's actually the point, I think, in this, is that all of our Old Testament people who deserved justice got mercy because Jesus who for whom justice did not include dying uh, received the justice for all of these Old Testament people that God was holding his wrath back from and for giving them a foretaste of the mercy that we get in Christ and so Jesus instead of getting mercy gets justice he didn't need mercy only sinners need mercy but you know what I mean. And the people who deserve justice get mercy. I don't know. I don't know where I go. I've, I've been, I was mulling over that. I've been mulling over this for two days now. And I don't really know where to go with that in terms of personal application. I just was, here's all these examples. And obviously Jesus is the... <laughs> don't test God. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, for sure, don't test God, but at the same time, it's okay to be, it's okay to express our discouragement and our anger to, to even direct that toward God. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a, not a prosperity person, but a feel-good, self-help sort of person who's, you know, tell your anger to God, yell at God, he can take it, he's God. I don't think that's the right way to process our anger at things but if Allender is correct we we can express anger to God but we do it 
in faith, you know, another example of obviously of doing that is Job, who didn't necessarily express his outrage at the world not being perfectly just to God in faith and God in his power and his loving kindness, because his loving kindness directs us into right worship of him, put Job in his place. But, you know, what we learn from that is, is the wrong way to challenge God. Uh, Here's what I said to my, I touched on this with my Bible study group this morning. And I, I think a lot of people can be in the same boat or have uh, uh, questions and or ponderings on life, where they're at in life, the fact that they haven't gotten what they wanted, whether a spouse or a job, um, not knowing where they're going to go. They might be at a, at some sort of intersection in their life where there's like this, you know, abyss and they're like, I have no idea, but I know it's going to go somewhere and I have no choice. I'm just getting thrust into this thing. So there's all these unknowns in the world, all of these questions, all these things we wanted, we didn't get all these things that are happening to us. We didn't want. And it makes me wonder if there's a, you know, it kind of just speaks into the, the process of, uh, the idea of talking to God about how to talk to God and approach God about those things without, you know, being terrible. And I'm reminded of, so the life group, which is our small group at church kind of acts like a, like a pseudo, uh, pseudo Sunday school after church just finished It's a hybrid Sunday school small slash group. small group. Yeah. There you go. They just finished studying, uh, Jonah and we came in for the last, basically the last chapter of Jonah. And now they're starting, um, first Samuel. And then at the same time, I started studying for Samuel and finished up Jonah. I'm now, I was, I started reading, going through an ESV shorter, uh, study on, uh, Hebrews and, uh, faith and Abraham and, and, um, what God kind of talks about in there. And it was interesting to have the juxtaposition of Jonah and Abraham back to back. So both men were called by God to go somewhere. Both responded very differently. Both ultimately did what God wanted to do. But in both cases, there was a big, uh, a big unknown. And um, as, a, as my humorous aside here, <laughs> I had to pull this up. Hebrews 11, uh, 12, when, when the author's writing, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, he did this. Um, by faith, Sarah received power. Past the age, she considered unfit. Therefore, one man and him as good as dead <laughs> were born descendants. I was just like, years old. that's hilarious. That's like this random aside, like just so you know the point. So, anyway, just a funny way of putting that, but him as good as dead. Um, and then as I'm reading about, and then I mentioned this, I think, in, um, you know, at, in our life group when we were, when we finished reading through Hannah's prayer in First Samuel, she was, she was, she life was not turning out the way that she wanted and uh how she approached that was was going to god and recognizing his sovereignty his omnip his uh, you know omnipotence his glory but also so recognizing her place and her relationship with him 
Uh, she didn't shy away from her complaints. She, she, she made those very specifically in her prayer. But on top of that, she spent a lot of time remembering where she had come from and remembering God's faithfulness to her. Um, and, and there was a... So it was less... I don't know. It's, it's less, you know, Jonah and Moses. Now nah, I want to go take somebody else. Or getting angry and more of a, okay, I rec- this isn't really how this is working, but I recognize you're in control, and I'm not, and I need to remember your, and this is what kind of struck me as like remembering your kind of your faithfulness to my soul. I think a lot of times American evangelicalism cultivates this idea that God being faithful to us means we're going to be okay in this life. We're going to have enough food. We're going to have enough money. We're going to have, you know, all these things that mm. meet are basically temporal, earthly comfort. comfort things. And God's like, no, my faithfulness is not tied to that. My faithfulness is much deeper and is tied to your soul. So you may suffer in this life. You may have nothing, but I'm going to be remain faithful to your soul. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where I felt like. Hannah had focused her prayer in that faithfulness and, and, you know, that obviously that ties back to the, to the faith passages and just being okay or, uh, focused on, or being okay with the unknown, being okay with not where you're at. And obviously, I mean, maybe not being okay is the right word, but you kind of see where I'm going with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm looking up a quote that when you said, that her God is caring for our soul more than our, uh, you know, more than our, our comfort or even our external circumstances. I, that we re- referred to the Andy Gullahorn concert that we went to a couple of weeks ago. He sang this song that I still have not been able to track the track down. Maybe it's a new one he hasn't recorded yet. But the phrase that he began with was essentially the most beautiful people are the ones who have suffered the most. And I googled that quote along with his name and I came up with a quote with a blog post from someone named Jason Gray who is a musician mm-hmm. in his world. And he quotes and he quotes Elizabeth Kubler Kubler Ross who wrote the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. And there's a a new book that I saw an interview for with the Gospel Coalition. I think the author is Scott Sauls. I'm not positive on that. But the the it's a similar premise but that idea that the most beautiful people are the ones who have suffered the most and i th- the you know look at hannah's depth of understanding of god's character didn't just arise out of her getting whatever she wanted it arose out of deep suffering and pain and not only the pain of childlessness but the pain of the taunting from penina which is mind-blowing to me what pettiness is going on there. Right? <laughs> right. What a terrible person. 
I mean, just be happy with what God has provided you instead of taunting this poor childless woman that you gain nothing but a sense of superiority by watching her suffer even more than she's already suffering. That's beside the point. Penina did not have a beautiful soul. <laughs> but but I think that we only gain the understanding, the, that beauty, not only in our relationship to other people, but in our relationship to God through the suffering that he leads us through. And when we trust that what God has for us is good, that's when we can lean into the rest of his character. But as I referred to last week, I don't think we can do that on our own. I don't think that we can always remember God's character. I mean, that's that's the other part of the Psalms, right? The Psalms were sung corporately because they, they're lamenting and they're grieving and they're struggling with their anger towards God for whatever's going on in their lives at that moment. But they were sung corporately because you're all in this together and you're reminding one another of the turn of the but God part that comes in all but one psalm of suffering. And even the one psalm, Paul Tripp would always point out in my classes with him, that one psalm that doesn't end, I think it's Psalm 89, that ends with darkness is my only friend, that sung corporately also has a weirdly uplifting and fortifying effect because you're experiencing this season of deep suffering where you don't see redemptiveness. You're experiencing it with other people who are holding you Mm -hmm. up because not everyone is experiencing this season of deep suffering all at the same time. Or in the same manner. Yes, that's true. Some people are able to hold on to hope at some time and the other person is at other times. I'm just going to add this and then I'm going to close because I have to go to the bathroom. Too busy to flush. Yes, I will flush, though. I'm not that busy. But um, I, a lot of you guys know, I didn't get, Jared and I didn't get married till he was 29 and I was 28. He'd been married before. I had not. So I was single for most of my 20s. And as a woman from Montana, <laughs> you know, on the East Coast, people had already been waiting till they were in their 30s to get married. But most people that I grew up with were married and had kids by the time Jar and I got married. And besides the, you know, the Hannah sort of longing for wanting something and not getting it and asking how long, oh Lord, or is this ever going to happen at all? I think that that bolstering effect that somebody else can have for your soul, somebody who is um, not only close enough to know your suffering, but is close enough to you that they're suffering it with you, is is something that is very underappreciated when we think about what people who are single need in their world in this in this world in relationship to mm-hmm. us. So when when you're single and your car breaks down, you have to figure it out yourself or you have to go find someone unless it's your dad and then your dad is still taking care of you. But you have to go find someone and you're at their mercy in their good graces that they're going to be able to find the time and have the energy and the goodwill to help you. When you are married to someone, you automatically have a built-in person who is suffering with you and who has to figure this out with you. And so the camaraderie as well as the fellow the bouncing ideas or strategizing or dividing up, you know, if, if the car breaks down and something, you know, 
the toilet floods at the same time, one person can who has gifting in the car dealing, you know, fixing area can mm-hmm. do the car, and the other person can do the toilet. But if you're single, it's all on you. Or you're putting yourself out there and asking something of somebody in there. And I know that a lot of single people in my world have people who who would love to help them. It's still a risk to ask that of somebody else. And it still creates a sense of being a burden and an obligation to somebody at, at some level, I'm convinced of it. There's a mental burden when you are single of, I either am going to have something happen to me that's out of my capacity to handle and, or I'm always asking things of people because they're just beyond my capacity to handle them. And I think that that's a, an underappreciated part of the struggles of being single, as I said before, and B an opportunity for married couples to lean in and not just, you know, invite someone into their home, but actually be part of the knowing the inner workings of somebody's life so that they can get that sort of, you know, when I was single and I was car shopping, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a huge struggle to feel like you're not getting ripped off. But when you have someone who knows cars and who has a more commanding demeanor, it's it's a more freeing, comfortable process. So anyway, that's my final thought there. Completely actually unrelated to Moses testing God, but that's where it went. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you have anything you would like to add to our conversation, you can do that uh, in a couple of different ways. The best one is probably our Telegram group. We've got a private Telegram channel on the Telegram app, uh, and you can find that link in the show notes of this episode. I'll include that link there. Click through and join us for the conversation. And a lot of times the conversations don't stay with just that topic. They're all over the place all the time. And um, you can also go to our website, www.toobusytoflush or tb2f.com too busy to flush.com and scroll down there to our send us a postcard option you can send us a postcard finally you can send us an email at tb the number two f at pm papa mike dot me and say hello that way i will tell you right now the number one way by a long ways is telegram there must be something about the ability for people just to just jump on and go boom without having to go someplace convenience it's all good times. Other than that, we are a weekly podcast. We try to be. So we will see you next, next week. week.